we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Welcome, everyone. This is Dr. Harvey Risch, Professor Emeritus of Epidemiology at Yale School of Public Health. Today, we're continuing our weekly series with various interesting and accomplished people. Our discussions have generally been on science and COVID topics, but they can go wherever our conversations might lead. And if listeners have questions for me, please submit them at americaoutloud.com forward slash pulse. I'm very pleased to introduce today's guests, Drs. May and Tim Hindmarsh. The Drs. Hindmarsh are the hosts of the podcast BS Free MD. Both of them are board-certified family practice physicians, currently practicing urgent care, and they have more than 28 years each of experience in family practice, hospital medicine, obstetrics, and urgent care. And they are very outspoken about good medical care. So May and Tim, let's begin. What have you been thinking about lately? Well, we, we're we going through a lot of changes personally, so we won't get into that too much. We're uh, actually selling the last piece of property we have in Oregon and acquiring a, a house in Bradenton, Florida. And then we're going to drive ourselves across the country here in the next uh, few weeks. So in that vein, the thing I've seen in the medical, at least in the a lot of the online news stories, is this whole concept of are the mandates coming back? And as well, so I was going to play the game with you of what's the scariest variant of the week? Uh, I right. don't know, but I just had it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, May. Yeah, that's actually an interesting story. May has this really bad cold, and her, and we're we're visiting her sister, and she's like, "Well, I have a leftover COVID test. The thing turned positive so fast it made a sound." Uh huh. And we're well, like, "Okay, it's a cold," you know. Okay, so are you case number seven of the scariest one, or are you just the run of the mill regular ones that we haven't been so propagandized for? The- you know, I don't. I, I, honestly, I. I I had to look up to see what the symptoms that are going around on this uh, E variant. But for me, Iris. there you go. Oh, oh, that's so out of date. That That's so last <laughs> week. Yeah. OK, I'm on to the next letter of the alphabet, like F- Francis or Ferdinand or something. F. But that's right. That's the one. FL.1.5.1 is the one that's coming up rapidly and displacing Eris. But, yeah. but th- the problem is that we're being um, fear-porned on BA.2.86, which has, let, wait till you hear this, 30 mutations. Oh, whoopee-doo. Right. You know, that's, that's the scariest they can make it because it turns out that since it was discovered in July, there are a total now of six cases of it in four <laughs> different countries. And so that tells you that in a month, there's been no secondary spread, no point epidemics, um basically this is Dullsville and and it's not going anywhere and so there's nothing to be scared about except for the fact that it's got 30 mutations oh and and the comment also was that it's no different in virulence to regular omicron which we've been taking in stride for the last year and a half yeah well in my little uh non-randomized controlled trial anecdotal evidence of what's been going on with me is that 
my, you know, I started off with a really sore throat that felt like it was just an effect from the wildfires that were in our area. And then I just got extreme, I had a bit of a cold symptoms and then extreme fatigue and my immune system goes on hyperdrive anyway. Honestly, I felt kind of like run down with mono, slept a lot and that was it. And I've been around my family, um, Tim, sleeping in the same bed still. I mean, nobody else has gotten anything. And I, it was really for me, uh, a, a cold with like just a lot of fatigue and sleeping that, you know, I would you, expect. Uh, if I had did you try uh, the sodium replacement trick for the tiredness? No, I, you know, since we're traveling all, I actually, I take zinc and vitamin C on a daily basis. I got myself some cold ease, which has extra zinc. You, you should be drinking the element. And the uh, sodium, no, seriously, that, that is amazing what that does. And I take, you just make it yourself, you know, ah. you take, you take a liter of water and mix in a, a teaspoon of, of table salt and a teaspoon right. of sodium bicarbonate and drink it over half an hour. No, I did not. I did not Let's even give think that to do that. Um, and then I actually take uh NAC supplement twice a day. So mm-hmm. um, all in all, I mean, it's and been it didn't prevent you from getting it. No, no, I've been taking it. I haven't been, I mean, I've been seeing, I mean, I, I work 20 hours a week seeing sick people and I, I mean, I guess knock on wood, but I've been really fortunate and, you know, we clinically, we, in the clinic, we haven't seen much no. of this. We've actually, I've, I've seen probably more strep throat in this last six months than I've had in my entire career. And, mm-hmm. and it's, and it's testing positive. Like it really does. Like the other thing I think about a lot is I think about Geert Vandenbosch and he's he's kind of like we've we've so severely damaged people's immune systems or or weakened people's immune systems that maybe one of these variants is actually going to be dangerous and and again we've cried wolf and fear porned ourselves into a point that no one's going to believe anything and 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 then what i mean like you you need you need a good cdc you need public health systems oh, right. but I now know. they're just an utter disaster yeah. So are you double masking, triple masking? <laughs> I'm non-masking at all. And yeah. In fact, I think the safest thing is to get a little bit of sick, you know, let, let your immune system kind of do what it's supposed to do. It's pretty highly tuned. I think know? just lick the floor once a week should do it. Exactly, I think so. Yeah. Right. We're going to we're going to go to a public library and just start licking uh, doorknobs. That, that always is super helpful. <laughs> But I just think, uh, honestly, I, I look at the whole scheme of things and I think that we've really forgotten what it's like to just be sick pre-pandemic with like a, a bad cold or the cold or a fl- flu bug. And now it's like, oh, you know, all this hype around what variant in COVID. And I'm like, well, yeah, but what about just being sick with a horrible cold? Like what, you know? Well, right. But um, <laughs> I, I got COVID for the first time and last time so far last september almost a year ago and uh, our older son was in uh, rotation in med school and one of the clerks or staff there was coughing even though she was wearing a mask and a face shield and all this anyway he came home yeah. the next day he was for the weekend and he says you know i'm kind of tired and i've got a scratchy throat and so that was saturday so sunday he tested he was positive that's when i started getting scratchy throat and Monday, I I was feeling it. And then the next day, my wife was feeling it. So two days, two days, two days. Yep. And um, so what I, I was just sitting there with, with scratchy throat and headache, basically for four days. 
and thinking, is that all this is going to be? Why am I so worried? And I had been on hydroxychloroquine, weekly hydroxychloroquine, plus vitamin D and all the other stuff for a couple of years already. And I thought, well, is it going to prevent it or not? So it didn't. Um, and day five, I kind of crashed. I started getting fevers and wiped out and uh, muscle aches and, you know, the whole flu-like illness. And then I lost taste and smell. Uh, that went away for that. I lost that for three days. But I have to say that when that came back, food never tasted as good. It, it wow. was like food saver rebound, you know, when, <laughs> when taste and smell came back. I've heard that. You know, we, Tim and I both have had like initially when it's, uh, I'm trying to think of time, 21, you got really sick. And I, that fall I did, we had the severe myalgias, high fever. Uh, like severe flu um, in bed for kind of a week, kill me, kill me, I'm dying sort of sensation. That was like Delta at that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, last year I had a kind of burning eyes and runny nose. I didn't even test. So like, who knows? It could be, a, it could have been a bit of COVID or not. I'm like, what What do I care? Co runny nose and burning eyes and sniffles for right. three days. And same with this time. I didn't even really want to test. But my sister jokingly, who was a nurse and had some old tests lying around, it was more of a, Oh, this would be kind of funny. What if it's positive and it, and it was, but for them, I think we're at that point right now. And like Tim said, unless you've been multiply vaxxed so many times that your immune system now um, can't respond. I mean, almost treats it like a, what we've done with allergy well, shots. And, right. and I'd love to talk about that, you know, not sure, to inter sure. interrupt that, my, that uh, for a lot of people currently, unless you're severely immunocompromised or elderly where everything kills you, easily anyway i think it's at this point a cold so this would be fun to run past you and i've oh, i've yeah. it's something that i've explained used as kind of a crude way to explain how you know what vaccines actually are to patients and in the whole concept of you know i love what uh, uh peter abay and his wife the work they've done and uh in um guinea bissau with you know seeing what vaccines actually work in this population that was wildly unvaccinated and how the old school live um, measles vaccine didn't just prevent measles in this population of completely vaccine naive people. It decreased all cause mortality, which is what vaccines should do. Yeah. And it was fascinating because they looked at this and they, and they came up with BCG uh, live polio and live measles were the only three vaccines that actually decreased all cause mortality. And then Peter does this little discussion. It was uh, a, a video I found buried someplace in the wilds of the internet. And he said, the problem with what we're doing in Western medicine is we have a disease eradication model. And, vac and so we look at vaccines like we would antibiotics as disease eradicators. And he said, that's not actually what they do. What they do is they're immune modulators. And I was like, that's exactly right. It, it modulates your immune system. So you get less ill when you get the native virus or whatever. Okay. And if that's what it does, that's a good thing. Well, but, but then like, you've got all these adjuvants and so on that are upramping your, your immune system anyway, making it hypertrippy or something like that. But, that. but that's exactly the point. And then I thought, you know, what else do we do in medicine? That's an immune modulator. Well, it's allergy shots, allergy shots or an immune modulator that downregulates your immune system. And then I'm, you know, I'm just the dumb country doctor. I look at it and I see these people, you know, we treated tons of people with monoclonal antibodies starting at the end of 2021. And, 
you know, at first they were all unvaccinated and then they were 50, 50 vaccinated. Then it was like 75 vaccinated to not vaccinated. Then the, then the FDA took the monoclonals away and now I'm seeing patients and virtually everyone that gets COVID now has been vaccinated multiple times. And I'm like, well, these aren't vaccines. They're allergy shots. I mean, if well, if right, we saw that there was, there was the paper that showed that the, that the IgG class moved from class one to class four, which is tolerance rather than attack. Right, right. and 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 that's what they they do over time. Right, and, and that I, 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 yeah. Has there been any more any more of that uh, study on the the different IgGs? Because when I saw that, I was like, this is a, the game is over for these things because we're giving everyone allergy shots now and it makes perfect sense. You know, they're getting, they have to get more and more shots closer and closer together. Well, now your immune system has, you know, it just ignores COVID. If, if, if Geert is right and we get a bad variant, these multiple, these people have five, six, you know, some people have what, like seven shots? They're, they're in a world of hurt. Well, so the likelihood of getting a bad COVID is pretty close to zero. Um, that the bug has found its niche. You know, it, the niche is a trade-off between how much it can infect people and how it can keep them from staying home. That uh, if a virus forces right. people to be sick and stay home, it only affects the family members. It doesn't affect 40 or 50 of, of your closest friends and, and co-workers. So it wants you to be out there spreading it. And mm -hmm. that it can't make you too sick. So that's really the main reason why respiratory viruses tend to converge on the the niche of feel bad, but you can still do stuff more or less, or you stay home. It's only for a day or two. Right. Right. And why it's just the, the lunacy of thinking that that this masking and all of this for a respiratory virus, which, you know, so they approved the rsv vaccine for kids is that actually accurate i i read that someplace today because the R yes that that i i'm scared to death that that is going to be a total disaster because when they they tried the rsv vaccine back in 69 they killed a whole bunch of kids with it and it, it, now they're trying to sell rsv vaccines to people over 70 or over 65 and i'm like well those are the demographics but but so this is do you know is this a an attenuated Virus vaccine or a killed virus? I think vaccine? it's I think it's an mRNA vaccine. It's mRNA. It's an mRNA. Yeah, that, that makes no sense. They're giving it to month to uh, pregnant women for weeks like thirty one to thirty four or something like that, in attempt to pass it through the placenta. Um, so yeah, as opposed to giving it to newborns, they could just put in with the Hep B vaccine with newborns. <laughs> right, yeah, right. there you go. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, the classes of people who might not do well with RSV are newborns and elderly, frail people. But if this is a, an mRNA vaccine, then it remains to be seen whether this is safe at all or just it's just as nonsensical as everything else we've learned. You know, the, the, the right. Cleveland Clinic studies that have been, have been very good showed the increase in, in risk of getting COVID the more doses of the, the vaccines you've taken. It's exactly that immune tolerance, very clearly shown up to, I think, four doses in, in that study. And my concern is how much this tolerance extends to other infectious agents. So for example, are all the people you're seeing with strep throat polyvaxed? 
Yeah, that, that I don't know because I usually don't ask unless they come in with a like standard upper respiratory tract infection. But it just I just thought of it while I was saying that to you that I'd never seen so much strep throat. I'm like, is that the case? Uh, in the community we live in, we have a high percentage of people that are unvaccinated because it is it's more rural. It's more, you know. Uh, guns god and grenades kind of mentality so to speak so yeah. even in oregon i'm impressed yeah yeah well, well in rural oregon yeah that is um, rural oregon the, 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 we we leave the human feces in the in the uh cities primarily portland so <laughs> but our anecdotal evidence is that there's you know amongst family friends and patients is that the people that seem to be coming in or recurringly getting repeated infections seem to be puzzled because they've had their multiple boosters and shots. And why am I getting COVID for the fifth time? Oh my. So. um, Yeah, I think, I I think the, I don't know what to say about the other things like the streps and other infections, but so far it's almost like we talked about before initially it was the unvaxxed, you know, a, a big uptick in unvaxxed catching it. Well, now it's flipped and the people that seem to be, getting it most frequently and easiest are people that have multiple boosters um that would not be me but, but it's still, like the other thing that's fascinating <laughs> me, but uh, yeah whatever. the other the other thing that's fascinating to witness is to see this like in families so for instance i have a really good friend and him and his wife were like not vaccinated they got covid once they haven't got it again um they have family members that are completely on the other team they're great people really nice it's all good everyone gets along but they've had like six or seven shots and they got COVID six or seven times. Like literally, they almost had an infection for every vac- vaccine, they, you know, every shot they right. took. But then the narrative isn't, well, this doesn't work. The narrative is, well, thank God I got vaccinated because otherwise I would have been killed because one of these six infections would have killed me. Not, it doesn't work. I'm getting more infections. And actually, you can't die of COVID if you never get it at all. right Um, so we're actually getting to our commercial break so let's take a pause we'll be back shortly everybody please stay tuned millions of americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein dr peter mccullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from covid19 and vaccines so you can feel your best Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. Welcome back. This is Dr. Harvey Risch with Drs. May and Tim Hindmarsh. We were just discussing getting multiple COVID shots and having COVID multiple times, almost in proportion 
to the number of shots. I, I've seen that in, in my family too. And, um, you know, it, it's just so bizarre that the shots did work after a fashion in a limited way, but there's been so much misrepresentation of what they did and the time periods that they did it. So for example, you know that in a randomized trial, if a, an agent takes a week or two before it develops its efficacy against the outcome of interest, that if you're gonna idealize the trial to figure out what's the best that the agent could do, you'll say, we're not gonna count the first two weeks because we know it doesn't work in the first two weeks. And then we'll, then we'll count it from there on. Okay, so that's for efficacy. Now, when you look at adverse events, you can't do that because the minute you sign up for the trial and you get randomized, you're in that group. And if you get in your car and have an accident, well, that's part of, of, of the, the adverse events of, of being in the trial. Nevertheless, they've done that in the COVID vaccine studies where they said that people who get COVID within the first two weeks after vaccination go into the unvaccinated group. And mm -hmm. this is a major issue, as we learned recently, because it turns out that this was the study, the Hulsher study that Peter McCullough and I and others co-authored, where they looked at um, the literature uh, of reported cases who had had autopsies. And they found that 74% uh, of the 140 some odd uh, ones that they studied, they went through all of the autopsy details and attributed them to the vaccine. Now, in those, the time when when they um, let's see what was it when they died after getting vaccinated, the three quarters of them were, were within four days of getting vaccinated. So these adverse events are happening very quickly, and so the, the, when you get COVID after vaccination, it happens in the first three or four or five days. And so the great majority of the people who get COVID in the first two weeks, even though they were vaccinated, is within the time frame that's going to be in those two weeks and not three months later, attributable to the fact that the vaccine didn't work. It's a confusion that getting COVID in the first two weeks is an adverse event. Getting COVID after that is the outcome, of, uh, the, the anti-result of, uh, of the trial. And so they're not figuring out that getting COVID in the first two weeks is an adverse event and putting that in with the vaccinated people as opposed to the unvaccinated people. And three quarters of the people who do that are are being considered unvaccinated when they've been vaccinated. Right. And, and so all these studies that purport to show safety about not getting COVID, basically as, the, as an adverse event, are misrepresenting the so-called safety of the vaccine. So that's the first major flaw. And I think this was also pointed out by Norman Fenton in, in UK, that this is misattributed uh, of when these events are happening to the wrong group and therefore misrepresenting the, the safety of these vaccines. The second thing is that all of this stuff is transient, that these vaccines come, they ramp up two weeks, they start working somewhat, they don't suppress transmission or getting infected, but maybe they keep you from being hospitalized for a while. And then that goes to zero and then goes negative after a while in the first dose or two, it, that was on the order of 12 to 15 weeks. Then it gets shorter and shorter with each subsequent dose. Now that's why you're seeing they, they want you to take a dose every four months. And that's probably too long 
as it is, it's probably already below zero after two months. And, well, you know, so th this is this is just not a public health um, measure management process. You can't give people doses every three months, four months, two months. No, no, unless you're Borla and you need a new yacht, <laughs> in which case, you know, I, you know, it's just like the although speak, it reminds me of that meme I saw where you said, what's the what's the the variant of the week that you're scared of the most? It, it's BS 24 seven. Right. That, right. That, that's that's the variant I don't like because <laughs> it literally right. has been BS 24 seven. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love it. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So the other thing I've been thinking about also, see what you think on this, is I'm going to assert that we have no evidence that this infection is seasonal. Now, some of the waves have been in winter, okay? But there's been some way, there have been five waves, I think, or six, I don't know by now. And I think only three of them have been in winter. What's happening now is there's been an uptick in infections and a little bit in hospitalizations starting about the beginning of august right well the beginning of august is not a fall wave no no people are not going back to school they're not staying at home it's not you're not turning on your the heat in your house and and all this stuff and therefore um they're still doing outdoor activities and all that and and so therefore if anything is happening now it's not because of seasonality Exactly right. And that makes me think that whatever we're going to get over the fall, there might be some bumps because there might be some effect of seasonal behaviors, but it's not going to be to the level of the waves, the major waves that we've had in past years, because most people are are pretty much immune, Not maybe not completely, but there's so much um, natural immunity, if not vaccine immunity in the population that people like you and like me are just not getting very sick with this. And it's just it's just not going to make a wave like it does when everybody gets really sick, like before Omicron. And so I'm not I, there may be some low level ways, but I'm not seeing that this is going to be a major seasonal event, you know, in in December, January, February. Well, what will be interesting in that regard is if there's a seasonality in anything, because, you know, as the flu seemed to magically disappear, whether that was from, you know, viral displacement, which I think is probably a real thing. Uh, so there really was a lot of COVID there. So it just, you know, you tend to not get two different viruses at the same time. But I would expect, you know, what I expected when schools opened was that there was going to be tons of sick kids just with regular colds because they got to get back to their baseline number of upper respiratory tract infections. That definitely <laughs> happened. We had a ton of kids and RSV, you know, lots and lots of kids, a little bit of an uptick in RSV when we tested for it. We yeah. could test we could do bedside testing in our clinic. So we found it if we looked, um, but it wasn't really horrible. The only thing that's weird is the strep throat, which is weird. It's also in the summer. It's like, which doesn't make any sense to me. Um, schools are closed. You know, kids are not licking desks and whatnot yet. And are we and, talking and, about classic group A, beta, hemolytic strep? Yep. Yeah. Testing positive on the old school, you yeah. know, test. It, and it's um, that, that one has just been kind of weird. And I don't, I mean, it may just be, it may just be where we live is, is an outlier. That kind of stuff happens too. The other one I really wonder about 
is the is the whole cancer change because yeah. we've definitely seen some weird cases of people that are you know they they may have had increased risk for a certain cancer they may have had something that was in remission and then all of a sudden it's like boom um that that one very, we've actually seen very aggressive cancers diagnosed in you know say stage four with regular screening protocols um so for instance, like colon cancer someone who's had their regular screening low risk family history boom they're in stage four colon cancer now or two primaries of not unrelated you know say a thyroid cancer and a lung or a thyroid and a melanoma like just two separate primaries at the same time correlations of multiple boosters it's interesting so uh, what i would predict if there is something going on here the first things to look at would be leukemias lymphomas and uh, breast cancer recurrence yeah those are the things that are likely to be the shortest latency that you might expect to see in two years or three years of an immune assault uh immune system assault the other ones thyroid is a little longer lung takes about five years to become to diagnosis under normal circumstances uh, colon is a very long latency tumor 35 40 years from going through all of the phases you know of the the different um, benign forms until it becomes malignant and and so on and um bladders another long tumor 20 years 25 years pancreas is another 10 to 15 years so any of these things that you see and in a two or three year time frame have to be more likely something that was there and then got uh, disinhibited got released that's what we're thinking yeah that's what we're thinking and is that based on you know changes to the immune system based on multiple vaccines rna changing that i mean i don't know well i think that an immune surveillance against cancer cells with unusual foreign antigens on their surface is one of the mechanisms that that keeps aberrant cells from becoming full-blown cancers all the time in people and if you damage that mechanism then it, it unleashes those cells just to keep reproducing right. instead of getting gobbled up by macrophages or whatever right. monocytes um so i it's any of these things are are theoretically plausible if you have a reasonable explanation for the time frame and the behaviors the the degree of, of, of stage of cancer at diagnosis i would be very surprised that a person who had colonoscopy and a clean bill from that would a year later have stage four colon cancer there's just no way there's no way that that could happen seen it yeah yep. no it's so yeah I, I, it is interesting because it, it 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 harkens back to that whole simian gene thing with the original um polio vaccine the sv40 contamination yes yeah. and then and then the the whole concept of well then you know 35 or 40 years later after the, the original vaccinees of you know in the what mid mid 50s mid 50s late 50s when they got that then you had this explosion of certain cancers you know in the 80s um and i'm like i don't know i mean it's, it's, 
it sounds plausible, but can you prove it? I don't know. Yeah. Well, that that's been one of the biggest issues of the whole pandemic scam, which is can you prove anything related to the vaccines? You know, they're in denial and gaslighting mode, and and we are trying to just look for evidence that tells you that the vaccine was involved in the problem. Right. No, it, it, exactly. And the the I, I like I thought I thought when uh, Demar Hamlin collapsed, um, that that was going to be the end. That that finally something happened that had been kind of in the uh, public parlance. You know, there's potential. Uh, myocarditis there appears to be uh, even if you're the conspiracy theorist you know there appears to be soccer players and all this stuff collapsing but then it happens on Monday Night Football the biggest Monday Night Football game of the year the guy who stands up from a tackle walks collapses and I was like okay we're done now you know just like I thought they'd kill a college some you know the beauty queen college co-ed uh, was going to collapse at cheerleading practice and then the 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 money truck was going to back up, you know, a la Penn State and Sandusky, and money was going to be pouring out of these universities, and Pfizer was going to come down, and no one was going to get vaccinated, and away we go. And I have been completely wrong on that. It's just like it's so bizarre to me. Like something is going on. Don't believe your lion eyes. Exactly. Yeah. But but the, and, and the thing is, every time I think I'm the crazy one with the multiple layered tinfoil scalp, I sit there and I go, OK, the, well, you got to be able to ask the question, but you can't even ask the question without getting censored. And then, you know, YouTube this last week quadruples down and says, if you don't if you do, if you have a medical show and you don't toe the line of the who we're taking you down. Mm-hmm. And I'm like. The, the the medical establishment are the geniuses that are giving gobs of insulin to type two diabetics to make them even fatter <laughs> instead of telling them to go on a keto diet and go for a walk. Right. I know. I know. This has been the problem with the medical establishment since uh, the Rockefellers took it over in the 1920s. There's yeah. a conflict of interest to sell drugs and make money on it. Yeah. Interesting point. Yeah. No, it's uh, as I always say, like, oh. Well, how can it, you know, if we can't question or even put out a hypothesis and challenge it, then it's not science anymore. And we should be able to question and challenge everything and have discussions about it. But it's, I never thought I'd see this in my lifetime as a, you know, as a doctor, especially where it's like, no, it's this narrative or no narrative and you'll be shut down, silenced, your information taken off of social media or whatever platform Mm -hmm. that you're out there. I can't believe it. Like, you know, just everything we've read and where we've come from and what you've learned, what we've learned in history and in med school and is all all these great physicians and scientists that challenged each other that to come up with hypotheses and develop um, great, dis- uh, come up with great discoveries. <laughs> We're just yeah. going backwards. Yeah, but it sucked in the past, too. Semmel, I mean, Semmelweiss was thrown in, yes. in asylum and beaten to death for washing right. his fucking hands. <laughs> yes. Right, right. I know, you know, and there was Galileo and there was lots of uh, people that I, I forgotten who said it, that um, the truth is is um, initially violently disagreed with. Then it was it's violently beaten up and then it's violently accepted. Yeah. 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 It's yeah, exactly that's true. It's, it's, it's exactly it's exactly true. And, and it's so wild. Like it, it's like that meme. It's another meme I saw that was just wonderful. And it's a picture of 
Bill Gates walking down the street and RFK with his shirt off. And it says, which person would you, you want to take uh, health advice from? And here's 69 year old RFK, like with the wa- washboard abs and right. big pecs. And then there's, you know, there, there's man boob gates walking next to him and i'm like this is this, this is like all the truth you need like to see in one picture oh that's so vivid but yeah. true but true yes. i know well you know this is the the problem with propaganda is a very effective tool at least insofar as that the people who inflict it think that they get people to believe it it really is unclear how much people believe the propaganda as opposed to you know just have to suffer through it and know that it's out there and are not believing it and i can't answer that question because it's a question that all totalitarian societies deal with and the the real question is not whether you believe it or not but how you change your behavior in swimming in that kind of environment and you know and how much you can you talk to your colleagues, your you know, or in the public, or you self-censor because of threats to your personal security or circumstances, and um, we're not the first ones to uh, to deal with this. So we've gotten to another commercial break point. So we're going to take a break, and we'll be back very soon. Cofix RX nasal solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. With the rise of independent media, we are now AmericaOutloud.news. For the genius of the United States is not found in its executives or legislatures, nor its ambassadors, authors, colleges, or churches, nor even in its newspapers or inventors. The genius of the United States is we the people. AmericaOutloud.news. Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back. This is Dr. Harvey Risch with Drs. Bay and Tim Hinmarsh. We were just talking about the devolution of our society into totalitarianism or, or, (laughs) or scientific totalitarianism medical totalitarianism and um it's you know i'm now emeritus i retired a year ago and i'm still in in the thick of things with regard to covid and covid advice and i I think you know that i'm also an advisory 
member of the wellness company that's trying to do um, unrestricted, un unfettered uh, medical care to the uh, ability of the doctors to do what they want to do to the best of their expertise in the relationships with their patients and that we're selling supplements that we hope will be helpful also. This is just one approach. I got into this only because there's everything is so stifled in what doctors can say and do that we needed to have some kind of outlet to not just for our own sanity, which it helps, but also for having a place where patients can go if they can't find doctors like you guys or my GP here where I live, who's on my wavelength and is just very quiet about it, but everybody knows him and loves him and so on. And, you know, there are people out there who are quiet about it and, and do this. And then there are people who, like Zev Zelenko, who stood up and said, here is the solution. It may not be perfect, but it's so outstanding. It needs to, and it's so safe. It needs to be used, you know, and, um, I don't know how many foil tinfoil hats he went through, you know, in order to be able to say that, at least what they said about him. But it's, you know, I think that we have very few tools to use to, against the, the tyranny that's been inflicted on us. This didn't come from a failure of public health. It came from a failure of the national security state of the government to do good public health in what it enforced into the public health community. And I think the best example that I've seen of that was, um, uh, Ray, uh, what's her name, Walensky, uh, when oh. she would uh, make her um, interviews on media and you could see she was sitting there drenched in sweat, you know, like there was a gun to her head from behind telling her she had to be saying these things that it was very clear that she was being forced psychologically, if nothing else, that they were telling her something along the lines of, if you don't say this and do this, millions of Americans will die and it'll be on you. And and this was how everybody was controlled. That And the question really is, why would our whole public health establishment believe this baloney? Why would they think that's true? You know, at the very beginning, within a month of the pandemic, we already knew there was a thousand-fold difference in mortality risk between children and over 70s or over 80s. And so we know who was going to die and we know who wasn't going to die. Why were people believing then that millions of people were going to die? Why were public health people believing this nonsense? Well, it makes me think, Tim, of what you're, uh, I won't say out loud on here, but of that family member who was in medicine um believed when we challenged him on what we were being told by the powers that be fauci etc well i mean there's been a lot of people that do you remember that yeah it's just like well they know more than me like it's just like it and i'm like yeah but this 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 is this breaches the law of common sense I mean, we it's, it's a it's a freaking respiratory virus it's it's like rsv like it's just gonna do what it's gonna do and you know i would get into these you know, sometimes after a couple of vodkas, which was never really helpful for the <laughs> for the discussion. Um, and, and I'd say, no, I think Fauci is full of crap. I think he's lying. I think that I mean, none of this makes any sense. He's changing his tune every so so many months because he's you know getting caught in in bad science. And it's like, no, I think he's doing a tremendous job. Oh, the science is evolving. 
Right. Yeah. And, and it and was just said, these are educated, long time practicing physicians who had, you know, similar education to us, but who just believed that the big government had our backs. And like, truly... like why would the government do something bad to me? And I'm yeah. like, because every single government in the history of the universe ends up when they get to a certain size doing something bad to everyone. That's yeah. why. Well, it's called but, history. but, you know, I grew up as a patriotic American. I'm a lifelong Demo registered Democrat. Um, I have my ideals for, you know, what I think the country stands for, at least the U.S. I don't know about Canada these days. But anyway, um, that we have, even if we're an imperfect country, we have our founding principles that are humane and just and all that. And and I never thought of us as a corrupt banana republic that we actually are. That's been proved in the last three years, that we have a government that is totally in, uh, involved in supporting uh, pharma companies over the health and life of Americans. And th this is, is so astonishing to me and abhorrent that and violates all of the sense of the Constitution and the founding principles of the country. And yet it's the reality of what we've lived. And so for so for for me, seeing Fauci lie, 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 and lie, you know, and saying, Anybody can see that these are lies. Why is anybody believing this? And then if he's lying, why is anybody believing that the government is doing anything wholesome? You know, Fauci, when when I had first written my hydroxychloroquine paper and summarized all of the, the epidemiologic studies that had looked at it, and Fauci was asked about it, and his comment was he waved his hand dismissively and said, oh, that's just anecdotal evidence. That was a lie. You know that a case report is anecdotal. A study is not anecdotal. Whether you agree or disagree, it's not anecdotal. So that was a lie. Then there was the remdesivir studies, where I re vividly remember him sitting on the couch in the Oval Office, th his body half turned toward the camera, saying, we stopped this study early because letting it run to the end would be just like crossing T's and dotting I's. It won't change anything. Thereby, by proclaiming that he violated one of the cardinal rules of carrying out a randomized controlled trial that you must let it run till its completion or until the data safety monitoring board tells you it's futile. Those are the endpoints of a randomized right. trial. Not to mention that they changed the endpoint in the middle because they realized they were never going to get to the endpoint as a whole. And furthermore, that the endpoint that they used was a completely irrelevant touchy-feely endpoint of how many days a person spent in the hospital, not whether they lived or died, for which right. it had no benefit and only harm. And so he lied right there to the oh, the world public, sitting there on the couch, brazenly lied. Anybody can figure that out. Doesn't take a genius to figure that out. And yet we're supposed to believe that he is the God King of science, right? During the pandemic. Well, no, it is. He is like the dawn. Like <laughs> Well, but I think that's the problem. I, I mean, mean it, it, you know, if you read RFK's book on Fauci, you know, he, 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 he he could make or ruin a career in seconds. So, you know, there, there was so much fear, you know, and it reminds me, it's like, I, I'm the most disappointed with doctors because it's my profession. And if I'm going to be, I feel if I'm going to be ethical and I'm going to call BS, especially if I have a podcast called BS free MD, then the first, the first place to do that is at home. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I was just totally disgusted with doctors, just, you know, lockstep. And, and I, you know, I've come to this conclusion. I've kind of felt this for a long time. 
but I, I've said this to a lot of people. They, you know, that you know, they interview us and they ask about medicine. It's like, oh, honorable profession, blah blah blah. And I said, you, you need to understand is for most physicians, their primary emotional motivator is not compassion, it's not empathy, it's fear. It's fear of getting sued. It's fear of being an outlier. It's fear of losing your job. It's fear of you know whatever. It's fear, and it really is kind of pounded into you from when you're a baby doctor and you're a medical student and you know, you got to learn how to do this or you're going to kill patients. And, and it really, it need that needs to change. I mean, it it really needs to be passion for help, helping people and compassion and scientific rigor and all of these things we thought we were doing, but then you graduate with $300,000 worth of debt and a Tesla and, and a trophy house I think I say wife. No, well, I, you don't like it when I call you the trophy wife because well, you have a trophy happens. husband. Yeah, I am. That's exactly right. And, and then, and then you wonder why people get in line and do what they're told. Well, of course, you're going to do what you're told. You're buried in debt. You have you have a narrow skill set, especially if you're you know a neurosurgeon. You got one thing that you can do well, and you get paid very well to do it. But you can't go work as an executive at Pepsi. You can only do what you're trained to do because you're a technician. And and so, you know, this medical system is has worked perfectly to get people to do what they're told. Yeah, to right. write prescriptions, to get in line, and just do what they're told. But you know, in in Germany in the 1930s, the doctors were the first to volunteer to be yep. part of yes. the Nazi Party. They did. They weren't being forced at that time to do it. They volunteered because they had this perverted idea that the society was sick and they were going to cure the society of its infection, and you know, that we recognize how evil that was, but they themselves didn't see that as evil because of whatever social societal factors that brought them into medicine, uh, you know, in Germany in that time. Um, We haven't done that here so much, except for the unvaccinated that we've labeled as the the illness of society. But Um, it's grown out, it's it's grown, but the thing is, it it grew out of the same place as COVID. It grew out of crappy science, Mm -hmm. right? Because all of that... You know, the, the nidus of that infection was eugenics. So then you can cleanse the society. Well, then, you know, you get a political dic- dictatorship and you're not going to just, you know, cleanse the society of the infirm. Well, now it's going to be political dissonance and it's going to be races you don't like. And it's right. going to be whatever you you label as, you know, the unclean, so to speak. And, and, and it's the same thing. The opioid crisis started with, you know, a two paragraph letter to the uh, New England Journal of Medicine in 1980. Crappy science, you know, kills 70 to 100,000 people a year of overdoses. And that all started with crappy science. And, and that's the thing. Like, it's so critically important. And as a practicing physician, I depend on guys like you that can 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 do studies properly and interpret them because I'm not a statistician. And so, like, I, you know, we there's so much knowledge there that we, as the practicing, you know, guys in the field, need to be able to use our own personal judgment and the judgment of experts. But right. now I don't trust any experts. Right. Trust experts is all gone. Like, That's right. No, Medical no. publishing trust is all gone. I know. Even for me as a scientist, it's a it's a wild west. You know, things aren't getting published that should be. Things are being being published that are utter nonsense. You know, because they they stick to an approved agenda and and purport to show something that they really don't. And so on. And when I was teaching, I would tell my students, when you read a paper, um, read the methods, read the results, draw your own conclusions, 
see if it seems consistent to you, and then look at the author's conclusions. The conclusions of the author in the abstract may not be the same as the conclusions of the author in the conclusion section, and those might be completely irrelevant to what the results actually show in the paper. You know, you have to basically be skeptical of every paper, critical of every paper, trying to prove why it's nonsense. And if you can't do that after you've worked through a paper, then you can start to admit that it might have some scientific merit. But all papers are nonsense until proven otherwise. That's you have to be that skeptical. Wow. Yeah, it's well, sad, but true. And I, I'm at the point now where every single new drug that comes out is garbage until you've written a couple billion prescriptions for it and actually know what it does. But we said that 20 years ago. We said that you don't take any new drug for 10 years. Yep. Well, I remember I remember one of our one of our mentors and and I said, "Ah, you're just a dinosaur." And you look at all this and now I've lived through that for the last 29 years of practice and it's like, "Boy, oh boy, was there a lot of stuff that we thought was really good that was gone within 3 or 4 years." Well, you know, you know FDA approves like 10,000 drugs, vaccines, devices a year. And it removes from the marketplace about 300 every year. So that's 300 things that it thought it was right to approve. And then it was wrong every year. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. That, it, I mean, it, it, it's just. But I, yeah, we, I mean, we can recount so many of those things from over the years from Fiox to. Um, well, yeah, the, the Cox twos. Yeah. I remember listening to a, an, an audio digest recording of this guy who obviously must have been sponsored by, you know, whoever by Pfizer telling, telling us that if we weren't using Cox twos and we're using the old NSAIDs, we were opening ourselves up to potential litigation because of how much better they worked and how much, how much less risk there was for a, a GI bleed. And you're going to have GI bleeding patients from all that damn ibuprofen. So you better be out there, you know, writing, Celebrex prescriptions, and I was right, just this like, was a, a key opinion leader. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and, and you know, you you look back at it, and you know, these drugs have been a disaster. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I know. Um, you know, really, you have to be very skeptical about all this stuff, just because the market forces. So Ed Dowd talks about it when he was in BlackRock as as a financial manager. He said the standard MO was to buy up a company that you knew was going to go bust and you buy it up and you tout it, you extol it until the price rises. Then you sell it out just before it, it, it turns, it tanks, right? And he said, pharma does exactly the same thing. It knows that many of the drugs that it produces are going to have serious liabilities. So they escrow, you know, large amounts of money. That's only, you know, if you escrow four or five billion dollars, but you make 30 on a drug, what's the big deal? You're still going to make 25 billion in profit. So you escrow a bunch, you go out there, you know, it's going to only last eight to 10 years. Then you get the litigation. You just settle, pay the fines and move on to the next drug. It's a cost of doing business. Never mind that all the people who are harmed by this in the cost of doing business, the, the callous approach to that is just unbelievable. No, well, it it is unbelievable, and so I'm sitting here watching Jardians ads where where now they're normalizing obesity to the point where they have these morbidly obese models dancing around. That you know the way you fix you know your type two diabetes is to take a medication where one of the risk factors is that you get necri necrotizing fasci fasciitis of your perineum, and I'm like right. I'm thinking a keto diet and a walk. 
is way better than that potential side effect. Right. How about gastric bypass in the worst cases? I mean, yeah, well, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's just, it's just, it, 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 it boggles the imagination. I mean, I'm glad that I'm, I'm doing urgent care now because I'm still for the most part, solving problems. You know, someone comes in with a pneumonia, you you know, community acquired pneumonia, we can handle that one. That's good. Oh, you broke your ankle. We'll deal with that. I mean, but like, you know, primary care patients, I have a few and they love seeing me because we, because I'll go down these bunny trails with them and I get rid of their medications, but man, it's, it's torturous (laughs) to, to, to do. Well, this is one of the things that that my colleagues in the wellness company are trying to do, which they're calling freedom from pharma which is helping people to get off the medications that really aren't helping them much and have potential side effects that are worse than what their you know intention is to treat and uh, this is something that I we've had discussions about not something that anybody can do to tell you just stop taking your meds <clears throat> but needs alternative approaches that is a medical decision and why doctors should be involved in doing that and I think yeah. it's a great idea to to go that direction as much as pharma is going to lobby against it and and whatever. But I think we have to be thinking along those lines. Well, I think we, you know, people are starting to wake up. I mean, at least I'm seeing more and we're interviewing more people um, and friends, family, patients are looking into, oh, maybe there's other options to improve my health other than popping a pill for this problem or that problem. And what can I do as far as, looking at what food I'm eating and how that can impact me, what supplements, what kind of exercise or supportive therapies, um, sleep and the amount of, you know, red light, using red light for healing, et cetera. I mean, all these different avenues instead of let's just take another pill with another side effect on top of another pill until you have pill to fix the pill. That's right. Exactly. An amount of pills that are all interacting, as I always say, with one another in someone's body that we canceling out or um, adding to like the potential side effects and just a big mess in there. It's a big chemical soup. Well, if you're on 13 pills, it is unknowable on how those are interacting. Oh, right. That's right. It's a multi-body problem. When you're on three, you can't tell what, what no. it's doing. Right. right. And we live in a country that actually actually had a medication approved for opiate-induced constipation. <laughs> so you're taking so many opiates that you're chronically constipated that you have to take a new motility agent that its only indication was opiate-induced constipation, not just constipation, opiate-induced constipation. That was the niche market that they got approved by the FDA. I see. And then what are they going to do about this medication? You need another one to counteract this one when you have opiate-induced constipation diarrhea from this age. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's right. Well, we've gotten out of time for today. Uh, I hope everybody's enjoyed this discussion. And if you have questions for me, please submit them at americaoutloud.com forward slash pulse. So May and Tim, thank you. This was really great. I really liked the discussion today. We should do it again. When, maybe Absolutely. when you get to Florida, we can do it again. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and come back again next week. Bye.